you have two things. You have the culture or man's kingdom and you have God's kingdom. The culture is this belief system of values and behaviors that the members of society believe. I read somewhere that the culture is the pattern of human activity. And so you think about what is the pattern of human activity? We look in the world today, what is the pattern? What is the pattern of human activity when it comes to love in the world today? How does the culture teach us how to love? How do commercials show us about love? What do movies show us about love? What do our friends, what do people on safe say about love? What does the culture say about marriage? What does the culture say about sexuality and gender? What does the culture say about that? What does the culture say about family and roles in the family? What does the culture say about how you help people, education, religion? Because the culture has to do with what is the pattern of human activity. And so you can look at the pattern of human activity and see what the culture says. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for February 11th, 2018. Today, Pastor Olu brings us a message called World Engines, Daniel, God's kingdom versus the pattern of human activity. Our responsibility as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to take God's kingdom and balance, take that culture and say, how does it look against this? How does it look against what God says his kingdom is? The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? God's kingdom is simple. The kingdom of God is simply where God reigns supreme. That's it. Pastor Olu unpacks how important it is that we are in tune with God's plans for his kingdom. He says that we are to balance what God's word says against what the culture is telling us is right or wrong. Pastor Olu also touches on the structure of God's kingdom and how it starts in the home with the man. Now he'll be reading from Daniel chapter 2 verse 25. So grab your Bibles and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. All right, we've been in Daniel. We're in chapter 2 of Daniel. And we've been talking about, remember the two things in Daniel. The two key things in Daniel are one, the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and he is absolutely free to do anything and everything he wants to do down to the very detail of his will will be accomplished. And then we also learn in Daniel as to how do we as Christians, how do we as body believers, how do we as followers of Christ, how do we operate in Babylon when we are outside the kingdom? The Bible tells us that we are peculiar people. I mean, we are different people because we are of the kingdom of God. But we're here on the kingdom of earth. And so Daniel gives us an idea how I should operate, how I should live to make sure that I am honoring God and everything I do in a kingdom that is not built up to honor God. And so if you remember Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar was king in Babylon. He had this dream. He didn't know what it was. He called for his wise people. He told them, hey, tell me what this dream is. And then give me the interpretation. They couldn't figure it out. So king said, "Okay, I'm killing everybody. He went to Daniel's house, knocked on the door. Hey, man, we're about to kill you. Why are you about to kill me? This is what happened. He said, okay, give me a break. Let me go ask. And we talked about a couple of weeks ago how that Daniel went to his friends and he said, hey, let us pray. He said, let's pray to the God of mercy that he will show us this dream. And God did. God showed up. He showed him the dream. And that's where we are today. Daniel has got the dream. Last time we were looking at this, we looked at his prayer and we talked about prayer, how important prayer is. Look with me in Daniel chapter 2, verse 25. Then Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles of Judah a man. That's funny how Arioch took credit for it. He said, look, king, I found this guy who can do this when Daniel was the one who told him. I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. 
The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Verse 27, Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king this mystery that the king has asked. Verse 28, I love this, but, I always like when there's buts in the Bible, B-U-T, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions in your head as you lay in the beds are these. And Daniel proceeds to tell him what the dream was. I love that part. But there is a God in heaven. God in heaven, that phrase there relates to God's transcendency. That's a big word that means way up there. God is transcendent. That means he is above and he is over and he is in charge of everything. And so when Daniel used that phrase, God in heaven, he was letting Nebuchadnezzar know that, listen, I know y'all got hundreds of gods down here that you guys worship, but there is a God in heaven who is transcendent. He is above and he is supreme over anybody and anything in this world. And what's cool about that is even though God is supreme, And even though God is transcendent above everything, God still cares about us. And he showed he cared by telling Daniel what the dream was. He showed he cared. And the answer to Daniel's prayer, the fact that God told him what the dream was and its interpretation, that shows that God has a desire to interact with his creation. And that's incredible to me to think that the creator of the universe, most all-powerful, most powerful God of all, He wants to interact with me. He wants to be in a relationship with me. That's what the Bible teaches us. Turn with me real quick to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man. Body had talked about that. That us, God, talking to the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. I like the way Tony Evans breaks that down. That word, if you look at some versions saying, let them rule. What God was saying was God, who is transcendent, he just created everything, so he's above everything. He said, let's make man and woman and children and let them rule. And so what God is saying is that, listen, I know I'm in charge, but I'm not going to rule independently from humans. I'm not going to sit back on my throne and, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, then that's going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen. God said, no, I am going to share my rulership with these humans I just created. And so because of that, he said he won't rule independently, that our decisions would carry weight regarding what God was going to do and what he didn't do. Now, that's insane. But God said that let them rule. So he gave us power. Therefore, our decisions dictate what God's going to do. Not only our decisions, but also our prayers. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. That's why we pray. Well, you know, God's going to know what's going to happen anyway, and God's just going to do it, so what do I need to pray? No. The Bible clearly teaches that God said, I'm going to let them rule. And so I'm going to share my rulership with these people. And so this interaction involves me talking to God, God talking to us, And that's how things happen. God's overall will is still going to be done, but how it happens involves how I rule. And so that's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. Our future destiny depends on our response to our current situation and our prayers during our current situation. And so don't just think, well, you know, the situation I'm in, I'm just in it. 
this is where I'm at right now, this is where we at, whatever. No. God said, no, I've given you the power to rule. So come talk to me. Come, come let me know what's going on. Let's, let's, figure, let's work this thing out. God has given us that power. And so we have to understand that, and I think that's so amazing that a transcendent God would do that, allow us, give us a share of that rule while he's still in charge. Back over in Daniel chapter 2, I love what Daniel does. The first thing Daniel did when he went before the king was he brought God into the conversation. The king came up straight up, yo, you know the dream? And you're ready to give me an interpretation. Daniel's response was, you tried all these other guys, but there is a God in heaven. Daniel didn't come out and was like, yeah, I got it. Are you ready here? Here you go. No, his response was, there is a God in heaven. And so what Daniel did was he immediately brought God into the situation. I started to think about Olu when I was reading this. And I started to think, how quickly do I bring God into my conversation? How quickly do I do that? Now, I've been told that I'm an opinionated person. I don't know if it's necessarily true or not. I think I love to hear other people's points of views, and I give them fair chances. That's what I, I don't want to say chances, like it's a contest. Everything's not a contest, Kelly. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, <laughs> you started a conversation, I can go. Man, I can talk. We can talk about Star Wars. We can go into the inner depths of the movie. You want to talk about politics? Let's go at it. You want to talk about the Bible? You want to talk about sports? You want to talk about Jordan versus Kobe versus Braun? We can go. We can get into it. And I can get into deep conversation, but I started to think, Daniel quickly brought God into this conversation. And I started to think, how quickly do I, when I'm talking to unsaved folks, when I'm talking to saved folks, when I'm out here in Babylon, when I'm out here in the kingdom of man, how quickly do I bring God into the conversation? See, that's my responsibility. We're world engines. And so our responsibility is to bring the kingdom of God here to earth. And so a wonderful opportunity for me to do that is when I'm talking to people. I'm interacting already. And so during that interaction, my responsibility is to quickly and often bring God into the conversation. I don't have a problem getting into any conversation with anybody. I don't have a problem. And I'll say my point of view, and I will say it strong, and I'll say it boldly, and I won't worry about how anyone feels about it. I mean, I'm not going to cuss nobody out, but you know what I'm saying? You know, if I feel that this is true, I will keep to that argument all the way through. But it's funny when it comes to God, and I have to look at myself at this. When it comes to God and things of God, sometimes I still think, okay, I don't want to be too weird here and start talking about you know, Jesus while you know, we're talking about baseball. Why would I bring Jesus? Or, okay, well, let me find a place. Let me find a place where I can say God. Let me find a place where I'm talking about God. Let me find a place. And then I look, and as I was reading this, I was like, I'm not like doing anything else. If I see somebody with a Star Wars t-shirt, I saw a kid today that laid a softball game with a Star Wars hat on. Immediately, I'm like, yo, you like Star Wars? And we think about the Han Solo movie. Just went in. Not if, I wonder if he's going to be offended if I talk about Han Solo. It wasn't like that. But when it's with God, or with the things of God, sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to be the weird guy. Or I don't want to be the, oh, no, always talking about this. And that is just the devil and my flesh trying to hinder the kingdom of God. I need to bring God into the conversation quickly. When there's things that go good in my life and I'm talking to somebody, I should say, you know what? And I thank God that it happened. Now, these days you got to be a little more specific because everybody's thanking God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, 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 Nicki Minaj thanked God and she wins awards. And I don't know if God had anything to do with that, but that's a different thing. 
But make sure we bring God into the conversation. I'm talking with a coworker. I'm talking to a friend. I'm talking about somebody at a softball field. And I'm like, oh, Layla did a great job today, man, on the field. Yeah, man. Thank the Lord, man. God has really been helping her. She's come a long way. That's easy. And he, may, he might be like, ooh, back this up. Beep, beep. I want to have this conversation. But, but what I did was I brought God into the conversation. I cracked that topic. Now the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to say, okay, I got them thinking about God now. Thanks, Olu. Now I can go plant that seed. Boom. That's my responsibility now. So I should be able to do that. When you talk about success, you talk to your family. Oh, this is a nice house. Praise God. You know, we were, we were really trying to figure out a place. And God really set everything up. Well, the financing went well, blah, blah, blah. And God really came through this time. So we're really thankful to him. Be bold. Why not? There's power. And we sing this song. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is. And so we say his name, we bring that. That's why I like how Daniel quickly do it. And that, that, that put a reflection on me that I need to step my game up as far as bringing God into the conversation. Because when he comes, when he enters, when the Holy Spirit enters, now he has, it can establish his rule over that conversation. He can establish his rule over that person's life by just me mentioning his name and seeing what the Holy Spirit does after that. Amen. Daniel said, verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be done in the latter days. I love that phrase. We talked about a lot of names of Jesus before, a lot of names of God. Here is a name of God, the revealer of mysteries. The revealer word has an idea of to take the lid off of something so you can see what's inside. And mysteries has the idea of a truth. Something that's true that was previously unknown. As a matter of fact, it goes as far as saying something that's humanly unknown. As a human, I can't understand this. In order for me to understand that, I need divine help. I need help from the sovereign God. And so what Daniel said is that God of heaven, he is the revealer of mysteries. He is one who takes the lid off. Those things that you don't understand, those things that you don't know, those things that you need to figure out. He is the revealer of mysteries. The question is, have you experienced that attribute of God? Have you experienced the revealer of mysteries? In Daniel chapter 2, go up a little bit in Daniel 22. When Daniel was praying, verse 22, same chapter. When he was praying and he was thanking God, he said he, talking about God, reveals two things, deep and hidden things, and he knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. That word deep there is like we use the word deep. Yo, man, that's deep. That's that same word. That means that God reveals those, the extreme degrees of knowledge that goes beyond our natural understanding. Have you ever been in a situation like, what in the world? Why am I in this? What's going on? What's my next move? What should I do? And you sit there, and you stress, and you think, and you try to figure Book of Daniel says, there's a God in heaven who's the revealer of mysteries. And so go to the revealer of mysteries. Say, God, why is this happening? God, what's going on with this right here? God, I don't understand. God, I think I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but things ain't lining up how I thought it was lined up. What do I need to do? God said, hey, come to me. Why? Because I can take the lid off that thing. I can take the lid off and let you understand those things that you do not understand. The revealer of mysteries. Turn to Psalms 139. Verse 12, I've read Psalms at least 150 billion times. I don't know how I missed this verse. Psalms 139, verse 12. Psalms 139, 12 says, Daniel's talking about God. He said, 
even the darkness, watch this, is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. The dark and the light, the darkness is as light with you. David said, darkness is bright to you. You know it all. There's no such thing that God does not know. And so while we worry and we stress and we try to figure it out and we try to put our plans together, instead of going to the revealer of mysteries. And God said because of his name and his glory, he will take the lid off of that and let you understand. James said in James chapter 1 verse 5, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who will give it to you freely. And so, saints, as we are in Babylon, as we go through life, as situations comes upon us, let's remember to go to the revealer of mysteries. And so Daniel begins back in Daniel chapter 22. And I'm not going to get deep into the dream. I'm going to save that for next time because it's a lot of stuff there. But when Daniel goes on, we pretty much know the story. I'm going to start in verse 31. And he tells him, you, O king, behold a great image. This image was mighty and exceeding brightness stood before you. And its appearance was frightening. And the head of the image, and so he goes on to tell him what he saw. And so he said, okay, what you saw, king, is you saw a big statue The head of the statue was made out of gold. So we have a gold head. Then he said there was also arms that was made out of silver. All right. Chest and arms were made out of silver. Its middle and thighs were out of bronze. His legs was of iron. And then it said his feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. And so this is what he saw. He saw this amazing statue. And we're going to get into that next week, a little more detail about all that. But that's what he saw. Verse 34. And as you look, a stone was cut out, not by human hand, and it struck the image on his feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken into pieces, and they became like chaff. That means broken down into really, 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 really small pieces, such that the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. There was a stone that shows up that comes whirling from somewhere that's flying. And it hits it at the feet, crashes it, breaks it up into so many pieces that it turns to chaff. When they used to get the wheat, they used to get somewhere where it was very windy. And they used to cut the wheat. And as they cut the wheat, the wind would blow the bad stuff, the chaff away, and the good stuff would fall back to the ground. And so what happened was this rock, this stone that was not cut from human hands came out, smashed this thing, broke it up really bad, and then blew away all the pieces of it. This was the dream. Now, verse 36, now we will tell the king his interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given, watch this, the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, into whose hand he has given, wherever they may dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. So when you look at the scripture, the only thing that the Bible tells us about what these sections are and who these people are, the only one it specifically says is the head of gold. And he tells him that this is King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is the Babylonian kingdom. Then it goes on to say, after this, another kingdom will come that's inferior to you and will destroy you and take over. Then it says, after this kingdom, so this will be the second kingdom. Then after this, a third kingdom will come, which is inferior. And then after that, a fourth kingdom will come, which is inferior. Okay? You notice as you go down. Gold is more precious than silver, was more precious than bronze, more precious than iron. But as you go down, silver is much stronger than gold. Bronze is much stronger than silver. Iron is stronger than all of them. And so though the majesty of the kingdom seems to reduce, the strength of the kingdom 
goes on. That may give us clues into who we're talking about these actual kingdoms are. But I don't want to miss the point. If God wanted the main emphasis of this dream to be who those kingdoms were, he would have told them. He would have said, oh, yeah, by the way, this kingdom is such, this kingdom is such, because he knows all things. He's supreme. But what he told us, what he emphasized, is what he wanted the people of Israel during that time to know, the Babylonians during that time to know, and us during this time to know, that there is a kingdom of man that's set up and is doing this thing. But then there is a fifth kingdom that's going to come. And when that fifth kingdom comes, that fifth kingdom is going to come and destroy all these kingdoms. And then if you look what happens after that, watch this. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And so this stone, once it strikes the image and destroys everything, it's going to become this humongous big mountain that's going to take over the entire earth. So this is the earth. Here's the mountain. So take it over. That's what's going to happen. And that's what he wanted the people to know. What we can learn about this is a couple of things. In order for God to give Nebuchadnezzar and these kingdoms rule and authority, the point number one is it has to be his to give. And that's what God wanted them to know. Listen, the kingdom, the power, the authority, it's mine. I've chosen to share that with you. And not on a permanent basis. Point number one is it's his to give. The second point is that God, because it's his to give and because he divvies it out as he wants to, he still rules. And so God rules through government, through kings, through presidents. He rules through them. He's saying, I'm going to take some of this power and this kingdom and glory and give it to you, but understand that I'm still in charge. I'm still ruling. And so, one, it's his to give. Two, he still rules through governments. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13 that government is what he called ministers of God. He called the president a minister. He said Donald Trump is a minister of God. That's what the Bible says. That ain't me. That's what the Bible says. What that means, that word minister has to do with the idea of like an administrator, meaning that God has given him authority or given rulers around the world authority and power to do stuff, but they're supposed to do what God wants them to do. The Bible talks about in Romans chapter 13 what the biblical function of government is. The biblical function of government is to curb lawlessness, to make sure it's just not anarchy and chaos going on out there, to reward those that do good. This is in Romans chapter 13 to punish those who do evil, and to provide an atmosphere where the righteous may live in peace and without fear. That's the role of the government, according to Romans chapter 13. And that's all the role of the government. Anything that steps outside of those things, to curb lawlessness, make sure it's like chaos, to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil, and to provide an atmosphere where the righteous may live in peace. Anything outside of that is outside of the government's reign, and they need to stay out of that. That's for another message. So point one, the power and the authority is his to give. Point two, God rules through the governments and kings and presidents. And point three, because it's his to give and it's still his when you got it, it's his to take away. The kingdom of man, the kingdom of God, those ideas, that culture that we have, these things are temporary. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, right now, this is you. Oh, you had to go. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? <laughs> I am go. I'm the head. I'm in charge of this thing. Go ahead on and tell me about my arms and chest. And Daniel's like, yeah, that's not you. Because there's going to come a kingdom who's going to destroy your kingdom. 
and it will be another kingdom. Oh, and by the way, don't worry, because they're going to get destroyed too. And there's going to be another kingdom. And they're going to get destroyed too. And in the end, they're all going to get destroyed by this stone that's going to come flying in, that's going to destroy all the kingdom of men and turn it into a mountain. Turn with me to Psalms 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. This is a sovereign God. Now, you got to remember what was going on during this time. Nebuchadnezzar came through Jerusalem and just killed everybody. He left a few there, and then he took the good ones. He took Daniel and his friends after he killed their parents back to Babylon, and they were basically slaves. And so what you have is this kingdom. God's people were now in slavery, in poverty, all jacked up. And they're thinking, oh, my goodness, I've never seen a king like this before. Now, remember, God called him the head, the gold. That means he was flossing. Did they say flossing today? I don't know if they still say flossing. You know, he was lit. What is it? What's the word? He was lit. He was live. Nebuchadnezzar was live. <laughs> okay. And so what happened is the children of Israel, the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem were, think about that, desperate and destitute they felt. In this, God was letting them know, say, hey, right now you're in trouble. And by the way, you're going to be <laughs> in trouble for a long time. But understand this. I will come and I will destroy all these kingdoms until my rule. That's the key about that rock. That stone that came through, that's not cut out of human hands, that's a supernatural stone, that represents Jesus Christ and the setting up of his earthly kingdom. God's kingdom is going to come. Christ's kingdom is going to come. And it's going to destroy all of man's kingdom, blow them away like they never even existed, and then turn to a mountain and take over the entire thing. That is what the Bible tells us is going to happen. And what we need to understand throughout all this is that God is in control of the flow of human history. Some terrible things has happened in history. Guess what? Through it all, God was in control. God is in control of the flow of human history. He's in charge of that. He represents that. He runs that. And so as people make decisions, as terrible things happen, the Holocaust, slavery, hurricane, no matter what happens, God is still in charge. His will is still going to be done. It's nothing that man can do to usurp or to take over the will of God or what God has for us. Jesus is the stone. The Bible refers to Jesus' stone all the time. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob was talking to his boys, and he referred to Jesus as the stone of Israel. I like 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. You, you remember you seen that song, uh, Come that found, and then there's something, uh, Come and bring my Ebenezer. Y'all know what an Ebenezer is? Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. It says, Then Samuel took the stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called his name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Eben means stone. Ezer means help. And so what he was saying was, God, this rock, this stone is our helper. What do you think about when you think about a stone? You think about strength. It's very hard to break a stone. It's, it's, it's difficult. Reliability. You take a stone, you put it somewhere, 100 years later, it's still going to be that stone. Stability. Authority. Power. Jesus Christ is the stone that comes in. He's the stone of Israel. He's the stone of help, the Ebenezer. First Peter chapter 2, turn with me there. 
verse 6. Peter is talking about Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so Jesus is referred all throughout scriptures as this stone in the Old Testament. And verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus is coming to shake some stuff up. I love how it says it's not made by human hands. That's to let us know that we're not talking about a human thing. We're talking about something that's outside of our natural mindset. It's going to smash all other kingdoms. A lot of people tell me that, you know, the problem with believing in God is that they see all this evil in the world. And there's no way there can be a God because why would there be evil? If God is what you say he is in the Bible, that he's all powerful, he's all, he can do everything, why is he letting sin happen? Why he's letting babies die? Why he's letting all these uh, allegations and stuff go on? If he's, so, if he's God and so good, why is all this stuff happening? Why is all this evil in place? And it's interesting when you think about that because when you look at what the scripture says and what they forget and what people tend to not bring up is that God acknowledged that there's evil in the world. And he also acknowledged that he was going to take care of it. He said, I'm going to take care of that. When you read the book of Revelations, he said, I'm going to take Satan and his demons and the Antichrist and the beast, and I'm going to throw them in the pit and lock it. And it's done. God is going to rid the world of sin, of pain, of suffering. That's what Daniel was telling the people there in Israel. As you go through this, under all this struggle and pain from the kingdom of man and the culture that's going on, know that a fifth kingdom is coming. And this kingdom is of God, and this kingdom is righteous, and this kingdom is good. And this kingdom is going to take care of everything when they get there. That's what God's going to do. That's the kingdom that Jesus represents. And that's who we represent. You have two things. You have the culture or man's kingdom, and you have God's kingdoms. The culture is this belief system of values and behaviors that the members of society believe. I read somewhere that the culture is the pattern of human activity. And so you think about what is the pattern of human activity? We look in the world today, what is the pattern? Culture. What is the pattern of human activity when it comes to love in the world today? How does the culture teach us how to love? How do commercials show us about love? What do movies show us about love? What do our friends, what do people unsaved say about love? What does the culture say about marriage? What does the culture say about sexuality and gender? What does the culture say about that? What does the culture say about family and roles in the family? What does the culture say about how do you help people, education, religion? Because the culture has to do with what is the pattern of human activity. And so you can look at the pattern of human activity and see what the culture says. Our responsibility as Christians, as followers of Christ, is to take God's kingdom and balance, take that culture and say, how does it look against this? How does it look against what God says his kingdom is? The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? God's kingdom is simple. The kingdom of God is simply where God reigns supreme. That's it. Where God reigns supreme. In Matthew, when Jesus was telling his disciples how they should pray, they said, Jesus, tell us how to pray. He said, when you pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so what he said was that phrase, thy kingdom come. What does that mean by thy kingdom? That kingdom come means thy will. And so God's kingdom is where his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how is God's will done in heaven? God tell an angel to do something, what's the angel going to do? 
immediately. It's not like, well, God, let me check my Bible on that. You know what, God, I hear what you're saying, what my friends are doing. That's not how it works in heaven. <laughs> God's will is done in heaven immediately, quickly, fast, with a smile on your face, done. And so God's kingdom is where God's will reigns perfectly. So where God is sovereign, where everything is done perfectly according to his will. That's where the kingdom of God. And so we talk about, we talk about being world engines. We talk about bringing the kingdom of God. But before we can bring the kingdom of God to Babylon, we have to look at ourselves. And I have to ask myself, I say, okay, Olu, is the kingdom of God in my life? Before I say I want to bring the kingdom of God to the world, and I'm going to transform the world for Christ, and I'm going to be out there, and I'm going to be a beacon of hope. Great. But before you do all that, is the kingdom of God in your life? Meaning, is God's will for my life done perfectly and quickly with a smile on my face? And so to understand, is God's kingdom happening? Then you ask, what's God's will? And so the question is, what's God's will for my life? And if I'm lining up with God's will for my life, then I can say, yes, the kingdom of God is in Olu Bolden's life. What's the will of God for our lives? We looked at that. Two things, the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. That's God's will for me. And in doing that, in loving the Lord my God with all my heart, my mind, and my soul, the Bible says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. That means obedience. And so my love for God, the first commandment, is shown in my obedience to God. And so God's will for my life is to obey him. And so is the kingdom of God in Olu's life? The question is, is Olu obedient to God? When Olu's obedient to God, then the kingdom of God is in Olu's life. When Olu's not obedient to God, then Olu has brought the kingdom of Babylon into his life. See, that's, just, that's the difference as Christians. We don't live to a standard of what other people are doing. Well, they're doing this, and I'm doing that, so I'm better. No. My standard is what God's will is for me. The second, the Great Commission. My responsibility is to go out and make disciples. And so am I bringing, am I being a world engine? Am I bringing God into the conversations that I'm having with my friends? Am I being, bringing God into the conversation I'm having at the softball field, at the basketball gym, at the, what else I do? The soccer field, at the, <laughs> wherever I go. Am I bringing God into those conversations? Why? Because that's my responsibility from the Great Commission, to reach out. Am I going out? And the gentleman is here to take today to talk to us about when we're going out in a couple weeks to go minister to people. That's the great commission. My job is to go out, leave these doors, and bring God's eyes, God's ears, God's feet, God's hands to those outside in Babylon. So when I am doing that, then yes, I am following God's will for my life, and I can say, yes, the kingdom of God is in my life. Before I can go out into Babylon, I need to ask the question, is the kingdom of God in my home? That's what hurts me a little bit. Is the kingdom of God in my home? So if the kingdom of God in my home, what does that mean? Well, what's God's will for my home? And if I'm lined up with God's will for my home, then yes, the kingdom of God is in my home. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 1 Corinthians eleven three 3 says this. But I want you to understand, Paul said, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So God said, in your home, there is a hierarchy that I have set up. There's an alignment that God has set up in the home for his will for the home. And if I line up with God's alignment, then I can say, yes, 
the kingdom of God is in my home. If I do not line up with this alignment, then I have brought the kingdom of Babylon into my home. This is a hierarchy that God set up. This is his will for the home. This is his will for the family, this hierarchy. Now, understand that this hierarchy has to do with function, not value. And so when God says that there is a order, there is a hierarchy in the family, it's not saying that Jesus is of lesser value than God the Father. Let me make that clear. It's not saying that the husband is of greater value than the wife. It's not saying that the wife is of lesser value than the husband. This is not talking about value. This is talking about function. Badia talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And the way God set this up was to say, look at the top. It's God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. We know that they are equal in nature. They are subservient in function, in duty. Jesus says, I asked the Father. I don't think God Father knows some things. Jesus said, I'm here to do the will of the Father. Okay? So it's not an idea of value. It's an idea how God said the hierarchy should run, how the function should go. And so because of that, I am supposed to look at that, and my home should reflect that. And so as a husband, my responsibility is to look at what Christ does to the Father, how Jesus Christ and his relationship to the Father, and that should be a mirror image of how I am in my home. That relationship there should be how my home holds up. And so I had to check myself. Am I reflecting the relationship of Jesus and the Father? Because when you talk about the children doing what they're supposed to do, the wife is trying to take over, we're not even down here yet. We know this relationship is perfect. This one is rock solid, A-OK. This is where the family starts to break down, with the husband and with our relationship with Jesus. See, if I do not take my responsibility and line up under the authority of Jesus Christ, if I do not take my responsibility and line up under the authority of the word, if I don't take everything I'm supposed to do and get in line and submit myself, then everything else on that list is going to be jacked up. Woman, you're supposed to listen to me. I'm in charge. That's not how it works. My responsibility is submit to Jesus. And so the choices that I make with my family should be choices that I say, what would Jesus do in this scenario? When things go on in my house, my responsibility is to bring God into the conversation. That's my responsibility. When there's choices to be made, should we move? Should we not move? Should we buy this? Should we not buy this? Should we go here? Should we not go here? All of those things, my responsibility is to bring God's point of view. Why? Because as the husband, I'm supposed to line up where Jesus is on this. Okay, this is what Jesus is on this, on this topic. Well, that's what makes sure I am. Okay. Uh. Now I'm lined up under Jesus on this topic, on this conversation, this thing. Then we can talk about everything else lining up, but that's my responsibility. And if I'm not doing that, then the kingdom of God is not in my home. And so I need to check myself. I need to check what I need to do, make sure I'm doing that. That's the kingdom of God in my life, in my home. It's the kingdom of God at my job. Do I invite God into the conversation? What's the will of God for my job? Well, I know that I have this job not just to make money, but I have this job to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Am I doing that? In my chores, in my schoolwork, is the will of God in my schoolwork? What's God's will for me with my lessons? The old folks used to say. What's God's will for me on this softball team, on this soccer team, in this co-op? 
What's God's will for me in this group here, this group there? Our responsibility is to bring God's kingdom into whatever situation we're in. Why? Because his kingdom trumps all other kingdoms. And when we come back, the next message, we're going to get a little bit more into detail about this statue and about what the kingdoms are, what they could refer to. And then I want to get more detail into more practical. How do I bring the kingdom of God into everything that I do? And so we're going to spend a little time talking about this hierarchy here, starting with us first and making sure that we are lining up where we're supposed to be as men so that everything else lines up how it's supposed to be. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this opportunity. We thank you, God, for being sovereign, for being in charge, God. We thank you for being a cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We thank you for being our Ebenezer, our solid rock of help. We thank you, God, for your word and even in your prophecies, how you gave us hope and telling us that no matter what the kingdom of this world is going on, your final kingdom is going to come and you're going to rule over everything, God. I thank you, God, that you've given us an opportunity to partake into your kingdom now. We don't have to wait till the end when you come back and you reign. We can participate actively in your kingdom now, God. And we thank you for that, God. I pray to everyone in the sound of my voice, God, that we will line up under the hierarchy that you set up for us, that we will all line up under you, Jesus Christ, and that we will all represent you in everything we do, everything we say, and everything we think. We love you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.